Friends, I have an axe today, and I brought it with me. Uh, No, it's not because Halloween's around the corner. I don't want to give anybody nightmares, and I promise I'm not going to hit anybody with it, okay? I might accidentally hit myself. Laura was worried about that, but I'm going to try to be careful with the axe. But I wanted to just kind of make the illustration of what the parable is talking about, okay? The parable is saying that there was a man who owned a vineyard and he goes to that vineyard after three years he had ordered that a fig tree would be planted and that fig tree has now grown up but it's not bearing any fruit. So he orders that the gardener go in well this is a palm, you get the idea right? Right? That, that he's going to go and kind of cut it down. Now, now, never mind that anybody who has ever grown, has anybody here ever grown figs? Anybody, a few people? Uh, anybody ever eaten a fig? Okay, some of y'all have eaten figs. How are they? Good, especially if you put them in a preserve or add a bunch of sugar, right? Uh, for, the, for the ancient world, they would have been the blue bell ice cream of Cana, Okay, they are a sign in the Bible of God's abundance that things are going well, and they're kind of like what the Cajuns would call lanyap, that extra goodness that comes as part of the fruit of the land. And so when it's not bearing fruit, it's a waste of soil. Something else could come up in that place. So he's called him to cut it down. Now what's odd is that the gardener says, now hold on, wait. I mean, maybe he knows the proverb that says that it's the gardener who gets the first sweet fruit of the figs. Maybe it hadn't borne fruit because he had plucked them off before. We don't know, right? But he says instead of using the axe to chop down the tree, mainly because it really wouldn't work because figs will just keep coming back and coming back and coming back unless you get in the roots. He said, let me instead go around the soil. Isn't it better to think this is chopping the soil instead of the tree, right? Let's chop up the soil and put fertilizer in it, or as this translation says, manure, and wait another season and see what happens. It's a beautiful parable with different people and different things. But friends, as I was reading this with people this week, almost everyone that I talked to thought of themselves as the tree. Almost everyone I visited with said that they had things that needed to be cut down and torn out of their life and chopped up. And if anybody wants to come up here and have Pastor Brad kind of cut you down... I think we're not understanding what the gospel's really all about. It isn't about tearing people down. It isn't cutting fig trees up. It isn't calling out sinners and saying how bad they are in our society and in our time and in our place. Assault by attempt to preach has passed as grace and it's no longer acceptable. It's a misuse 
of the gospel. For the gospel is about grace and love and the patience of God being fully on display so that even now, every person who can hear the sound of my voice either in this room or through the internet or over our radio show might yet repent and even at this late date still be saved. It's not about beating people down. It's about building people up. Now, mind you, if you are persisting in things that aren't as sweet as bluebell ice cream, that beautiful product of fruit that can be born in the name of the gospel and are doing things you know to be dangerous and destructive, knock it off. There are lots of other passages that talk about that. Okay, But this passage specifically in Luke is talking about something else. I think that the main character in this is not the tree. Because if you're the tree, like how does that work? I mean, are you really telling me that you're going to get mad at a fig tree for not producing fruit? Like it woke up this morning and said, nope. Not making fruit. I know I'm a fig tree and fig trees do. Well, no, of course not. The reason a fig tree doesn't produce good fruit is because the environment it is in, the rain, the soil, the temperature, the care that the tree has been given is not sufficient. Sufficient, And in this parable, Jesus is talking to a bunch of rabbis and Pharisees and other people who've approached him. And he's saying that it's their fault as believers, as people who love God, who have made it all about rules that keep people out instead of the grace, love, and redemptive power of God that draws people in. And when you build a culture or society on us and them where God's grace goes to some but not all and doesn't care for the widow, the orphan, and stranger, do not be surprised when your tree does not bear fruit. Because the sweetest fruit there is are found in the promises of God on a mature tree Figs. It's hard to say that. The only figs I ever got weren't ripe yet and were, you know, kind of sour. But they're beautiful and amazing. But they take time to produce. They take work. And this kind of leads me into the first challenge we have when we talk about this parable and how it's in regards to patience. You see, many of us think that patience is waiting, right? How many of y'all have ever sat in a car in a line? Anybody tried to go through and drop their kids off at something? Grandkids, others, right? Nieces, nephews. How many of you ever tried to get down Richmond Road in Christmas season, right? Right? Some of y'all can't get not frustrated just trying to get out of the parking lot here onto Moore's Lane after church, right? Especially if we go longer than the Baptist, all right? But here we are kind of in this kind of thing where we think that many of us in those situations will tell our spouses, our family members, and what's really the problem is we're not patient, and so we'll look and turn to our family member. I'm looking up. I'm not blaming you, right? I'm just 
looking at the ceiling, but we'll say, be patient, right? Be patient, right? We're supposed to be patient, but patient isn't just passively waiting in the Bible. Patience is dwelling in the grace of God so abundantly that when things get tough, we can endure, suffer, and overcome whatever may be the obstacle in the way of us bearing fruit. Okay? Patience in the Bible is built completely off of understanding and knowing the patience that God shows each day with each one of us and allowing that patience that we have through salvation in Jesus Christ to be made so real that we become patient with others. And for this, I want to call your attention to the Apostle Paul. Okay? When he talks about it over and over and over again, he talks about how God's love and grace has given him patience. You remember the things he did, right? He was trying to kill other Christians before he was one. And then God not only forgave him, but redeemed him so in love he could go to others. Uh, Recently, um, Laura and I were getting on an elevator in a hotel in Dallas. Uh, We were staying over there before a board meeting over at SMU for one of the boards I'm on over there. And this guy, his name was Peter, and he's from London. He was kind of struck up a conversation with us and was going to get on the elevator. And um, he, how to say this right, he had had too much to drink. Those old enough know what that means, right? Right? So he's very chatty and talking all about England and how he loves Americans and Texans and all this stuff and where should he go and what should he do. And we get on the elevator and on the ride up, I start talking to him about uh, uh, soccer teams in England. He's really surprised I know so much about England. He starts talking about London and I know a lot about it because, you know, Methodism came from England, right? So I strike up a conversation knowing some information. We get off the elevator there at the top, and he keeps talking. And of course, all I'm worried about is he's going to wake up everybody in the rooms around the elevator lobby. But as he begins to talk, he says, how do you know so much about England? And I tell him, I said, if I tell you, you're not going to want to talk to me anymore. I I just got a feeling that this is the way it's going to go. But he said, no, really. I said, I'm a Methodist. And without missing a beat, he says, my dad was a Methodist. He would never be okay with the way I'm living my life today. And then he confessed to me some sins that would make your hair turn white. He then said, can God ever forgive me for what I've done? And I said, no, right? (laughs) No. I said, yes, of course. Never underestimate the patience of God. Even at this late hour, God is trying to get you to repent so that you might be redeemed. 
For he might be a modern Paul, for all I know. Listen to what he says here, Paul. He's talking about his trip. We normally read this on Ash Wednesday when we remember all that Paul gave up to follow Jesus. As we work together with Jesus, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For Jesus says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have committed ourselves in every way through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. He was literally willing to endure all so that he might go into the world and chop through those roots of prejudice, those tribal hatreds, those things that people held against each other, customs and ways of being in a polytheistic society in time and place and to literally bring the love of Christ. And we're told that when they dragged him before Abema after beating him and brought him to trial in Corinth, that when he was accused that they could find no person in town that could ever say that he ever said a bad word about their religion. Religion that was false. Patiently, persistently, Suffering and enduring what was ever necessary, he never gave up on the people in front of him, but instead loved them into the possibilities of what God's grace might yet do. Now some of you thought of yourself and what you had done, when I have the axe in my hand. But others of you had the proper name of a brother, a sister, a child, a cousin, a friend, who you know isn't doing right. You're like my mom when I got ordained. I think I've told you all this before, but she was severely disappointed that they did not install a zapper. She said, Brad, your ministry would be a lot easier if you could just zap people little thunderbolt out of the finger. But that's not how God works at all. Maybe the thing we need to take an axe to 
is people's misguided notions about God that make God into some sort of hater or person who doesn't love or care about people that is so unforgiving and judgmental and not about the grace that he bled and died for us on a cross to show. Have we forgotten who God is? Do we not know his abounding love From the beginning of time, He set the foundations of the earth and created you and I, each one of us, as the psalmist says, literally knit us together in our mother's womb and brought us forth into a world. And there's some really good things and really bad things. And we tend to fall apart as we try to live and things don't go the way we think they should. And we find ourselves mired in sin. He tried to set up rules that he gave us on the Ten Commandments. He tried to show ways of life through the prophets, proclaiming God's love and grace to all. And then finally, he himself came to earth, lived among us to show us the way. He was crucified once and for all enough to pay the price for any way that you think you should be cut down. But the story didn't end there. He was resurrected. The first of many to receive eternal life so that you and I might go forth and bless others. When you think patience is waiting, When you think it's been too long, remember the patience of God that is redeeming the world and trust in his love and grace for all. My friends, remember what it says in Peter. It's a beautiful little passage. It's 2 Peter 3, 9. I think he says it well as well. And just in case you think it was only, uh, only Paul. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. For the day of the Lord indeed is drawing near. Amen.